You are now listening to a brand new episode of Starfleet Escape Podcast, only on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, also known as the Fun! This Four-Eyed Radio production is brought to you by America Joy Print Shop. All your printing needs taken care of in one convenient place. Visit AmericaJoy.com for business cards, flyers, banners, decals, car wraps, and more. Visit AmericaJoy.com. All hands, prepare for the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Stand by for transmission. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is a supplemental episode of the podcast, We'll be watching Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Yesterday's Enterprise. I'm Aaron, and with me is Eric Dewey from the Socially Awkward Studios podcast. Hello, hello. How's it going, Eric? It's going pretty good. I'm kind of excited to do this. I've been wanting to do uh, something uh, with you guys over at the Starfleet Escape podcast for a while. And, uh, you know, this this opportunity to, to come on and do a commentary over uh, yesterday's Enterprise is fantastic because it's one of my favorite episodes. So yeah, this is going to be good. Oh, yeah. Like, likewise, I've uh, I've loved this episode. It's easily in my top five. Um, I would have to think about it a lot harder to place it specifically it might mm-hmm. even be in the top three um but uh, it's definitely in the top five easily um along with uh, measure of man best of both worlds which I, I count part one and part two as one episode if i'm mm-hmm. if i'm numbering them that way but um yeah there's just so many i mean seven seasons worth of episodes there's a ton of good ones and even though this one is fairly early in the series i mean we're, we're halfway through uh, a little bit more than halfway through season three uh, when we come right. up to yesterday's enterprise, so they're they're just kind of hitting their stride, really, uh, fully in this point at this point in the mm-hmm. series. I think. I mean, the first season was was good, but it, I was honestly, it was almost surprising that they got continued because that first season wasn't <laughs> as good as it could have been. I fully second, agree. And then the second season, it really took off. It was like they took that opportunity. They said, okay, you gave us another chance. We're going to run with it. And it really started getting better and better and better from that point. So uh, here in the middle of the third season, it really was kind of hitting its stride, I think. And uh, this episode, even though, uh, interesting fact, this episode was rushed and a lot of the writers um, did not think it was going to be any good (laughs) because it was rushed. Um, but it did end up being one of the uh, best episodes of the entire series, so it's going to be uh, going to be fun to talk about. Definitely. So should we uh, should we go ahead and uh, fire up the episode and get it going, or did you have anything else you wanted to uh, to mention about the episode before we uh, actually begin watching? Uh, no, I think we can just uh, get right into it. All right, you want to do the countdown, or do you want me to? Um, yeah, why don't you? All right. For those of you listening <laughs> along, obviously this this commentary track is intended to be listened to alongside watching the actual episode. Uh, if you have Netflix, obviously you can fire up Netflix and find it on there. Um, if you're watching on your DVD or Blu-ray copy, there might be additional material that we're not watching because we are actually watching the Netflix version right now. So if you see a scene that we don't talk about, <laughs> it's because <laughs> you're getting more than, than what we're watching right now. But um, So for those of you following along and uh, watching on Netflix, go ahead and start the episode in three, two, one, now. And here we go. The, uh, I love this scene right here. This, the, the scene that sets up uh, Worf and the the prune juice <laughs> yeah the, you know basically where we find out that hey uh you know morph is kind of this this big burly you, you don't expect you expect him to be drinking like romulan ale or you know something strong and heavy all the time right clean on like, blood wine <laughs> exactly <laughs> and gun like i've got just the thing for you here you go and she gives him prune juice <laughs> 
mm-hmm. <laughs> of all things, and he loves it. It says, it, you, <laughs> "I love the a warrior's drink." Yes, yes. Uh, and then, of course, Gannon goes on to uh, point out that his uh, love life is lacking, and uh, quite honestly, I think he's got a valid point. He's, <laughs> you know, we've seen later in the series what uh, Klingons consider lovemaking, and uh, it's a little rough. Uh, right. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, that we've seen any human females uh, on the Enterprise that could really uh, handle it. <laughs> really, other than possibly uh, Tasha, which we'll uh, who we'll see in a little bit here. But uh, do you do you can you recall any other characters within the uh, series that uh, could potentially have handled uh, <laughs> um, intimate with Worf? Not not really, but. Um Later on in the series, he does have re- a relationship with uh, Deanna Troy. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. that yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting because she definitely does not seem like the uh, rough and tumble type in that way. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I do love this moment here when uh, when Guinan just automatically knows something's wrong. Nothing's actually happened yet other than the, the rift actually opening, but Guinan's just like, no. You know, and she says it in a cool way, right. not like Darth Vader in uh, episode three. <laughs> no. But uh, just in a series like, oh, crap, something's about to go down. Right. Well, she is a race of listeners. Uh, her people have some kind of extra sensory perception. Yeah, and also they're exceptionally long-lived as well, which brings up the the question. I believe you brought it up in uh, one of the uh, image macros you did for the uh, for your Facebook page over at uh, the Starfleet Escape Podcast Facebook page, where uh, does Guinan know that something's different in the the J.J. Abrams universe of Star Trek <laughs> right. now? Because she was alive back yeah. then. I mean, we we know from uh, Time Zero. That she mm-hmm. was alive in uh, in the 1800s, so uh, we know that she's alive for that time. So when when Nero's ship came through that uh, wormhole or the the black hole or whatever it was at that moment, did she have this same moment like she's having <laughs> right now, where she's like, "Wait a minute, something ain't right here." Exactly. And are they going to? And do you think JJ will ever? Uh, explore that at all do you think she'll he'll ever be like hey uh, why don't we have this random character show up but it probably couldn't be Guinan because uh whoopi's looking way too old nowadays <laughs> to, to right. do the part right. but um you know they could bring up some other kind of uh character like that and have them mm-hmm. be like something ain't right here just so you know and just kind of a throwback to this i think that would be kind of interesting yeah I like the the bridge of this alternate enterprise. It is it is pretty cool. I the one thing I don't like about it, and it is on purpose, of course, that they do this. the The fact that uh, the captain's chair is all by its lonesome on the on the command platform, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. That obviously isn't done on purpose. It's a more militaristic look. You know, the captain is the captain. Everybody else is subservient to him. Whereas on the normal bridge of the Enterprise. I always loved how in the Next Generation Enterprise, you had the command staff all there basically on even keel. You know, you, right. you have, yeah, the captain's in the middle, and he is the captain still, but, you know, it, it's, you know, the uh, second officer is right there. It's not back mm-hmm. behind him. He's not down in front of him. Um, this Enterprise, the, the alternate Enterprise, kind of throws back more to... Uh, like in the original series, when you had the captain's chair all by itself, and right. uh, you know he's the ultimate power, and we see that more in this episode too, where the captain really puts his foot down much more than uh, you see him do in the the, I guess the prime uh, timeline. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Um. Also, something to note that that sequence where uh, the Enterprise C comes through the rift. And you have that um, that effect where it's like zooming in and out, kind of. Right. Uh, that wasn't in the script originally. It was added in post-production. And they actually forgot to do it at, towards the end of the episode when the timeline's corrected. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I love this song, by the way. The, if you're if you're following along, you should be watching the opening title sequence right now, and uh, seeing the little guy walk across the uh, conference room uh, window there. I love this song. I actually got to play this song in band in high school, which was fun. oh yeah. <laughs> now, what do you think about the uh, the Enterprise C design uh, when you compare it to what they showed the the B and uh, of course now the the new versions of the Enterprise? How do you think the C compares? Because this is the first time we're actually seeing the C in the series. Right. It, it looks like a a natural progression from. Uh, one ship to the next. Uh, the Ambassador class starship is actually a it's a, a good looking ship, I think. Yeah, it's not bad at all. I, I definitely agree with you there. It's um, it seems like they did a really good job of looking at what came before and what they decided mm-hmm. to do with the D, and really did find something that that felt like it was in a good a good middle ground. Um, right. My only complaint was I don't think. I, I think maybe they went too far back with it. Uh, it seems closer to the B than it does to the C, or to the D is what I'm saying. Uh, it looks like it makes that jump from the C to the D seem so much more in design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not really complaining. I mean, I'm kind of nitpicking right now, but <laughs> it's still it's still a good design ship, and I, I do enjoy it. Um, right. Of course, we didn't even mention the fact that, of course, this this alternate timeline because they're not explorers; they haven't just visited random planets. Uh, the events of Skin of Evil never happened, and therefore right. we have Tasha Yar back in this episode. I thought this was a fantastic way for them to write her back into the series, even just for one episode. And of mm-hmm. course, they were able to use the events of this episode to write her back into a few episodes uh, later on in the series. Uh, not the character necessarily, but the uh, but Denise Crosby, who uh, mm-hmm. one of our Twitter followers wanted us to to point out the fact that uh, Denise Crosby is actually Bing Crosby's daughter. If for those of you who didn't know that little tidbit, um, mm-hmm. we promised that we we'd mention that. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so obviously you see some differences in this timeline. You know, first and foremost, obviously they're at war with the Klingons now. So Worf can't be on the ship. <laughs> we don't have a peace <laughs> right. treaty with the Klingons. There's not going to be any Klingons in Starfleet. Um, but instead we've got Tasha Yarbag because she didn't die in this timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the bright side. Uh, downside is of course, we're in this long drawn out war with the Klingons, which uh, we find out a little bit later that we're actually pretty much losing. Uh, it's, right. it's not going well. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's some other subtle differences here and there. But I mean, obviously, there's the big differences. The uniforms a little bit more crisp, a little bit more militaristic because they're you know at war. Uh, they're mm-hmm. all carrying sidearms. Um, you don't right. see that on the regular Enterprise. There's no need to carry a weapon on a regular basis on the ship. You, you're not in fear of being boarded at any moment, typically. Even though it seems right. to always happen. <laughs> but you're not <laughs> yeah. technically. They're not supposed to be in fear of that. Um, so. You get that kind of feeling, you know, and, uh, you know, right here, though, this this one scene did kind of throw me off. I think that they should have, if they were in that militaristic setting, even though they're beaming onto another Starfleet ship, they mm-hmm. don't necessarily, they've already said that they can't really scan in very well. They're getting sporadic life signs. I would have expected to see them transport in weapons drawn. That's what I would have expected to see. Oh, Again, see. nitpicking, uh, you know, but that's that's what I, <laughs> that's, that's what I do here. Uh, <laughs> I, I suppose I I was okay with it, um, considering that they were. Um, it didn't seem like they were they were boarded by any enemies, um, so it seemed okay. It's just one of those things that with all the the emphasis that they were putting on look how militaristic everything is look how you know the doctors armed uh, you know for crying out loud if if crushers got to come down with a weapon then I would think that at least one of them whoever was the security person in charge would probably have uh, at least been you know hand on the phaser if nothing else right. but uh, yeah so we get to see the the bridge of the uh, the Enterprise C here, uh, very similar in design to the uh, to the older ships from the original series and from some of the uh, the later movies, mm-hmm. um, and not as militaristic as the new timeline Enterprise D, because obviously right. at the time that this ship was built, they weren't at war yet. Ah, here's Shooter McGavin. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I, every time, every time this episode, play, I was like, hey, shooter. All right. Want to want to go to the red lobster shooter? It's on me. It's my treat. Um, one thing you really notice in this episode when they're in the alternate timeline, you know, normally Picard and Riker are pretty close. You know, they're they're pretty much friends. The only mm-hmm. time you don't see that, you know, when when Picard has to put his foot down and be like, "I'm the captain. Do what I say." But it's so rare that that has to happen that most of the time you just see a really good relationship between the two of them. In this one, in this timeline, it's pretty clear that that's not the case. It's a working relationship only. Riker does his job. He does what he's told because that's you know his duty to do. Mm-hmm. But you can see that there's no camaraderie between them outside of that. Right. I thought that was another interesting little change between the timelines. One of the things that kind of threw me off with this episode is why is Guinan on a military ship? <laughs> because she's integral to the storyline. Come on now. <laughs> well, that. Yeah. But beyond that, no, no, that why does else? make sense. Uh, it also you also have to wonder, you know, why is uh, why is Wesley a full ensign? You know, how did he manage to do that? You know, because the whole point was, yeah, you know, this timeline wouldn't have changed when he was born, so he still wouldn't have been old enough. <laughs> to be a, a full ensign at this point. But uh, obviously they, you know, the only characters they were flip-flopping were Worf and uh, Tasha, Tasha. So they weren't going to get rid of a lot of the other main characters. But uh, yeah, and of course Guinan had to be the uh, voice of reason to get them to, to even do what they were supposed to be doing. Because the, mm-hmm. one of the original versions of the script, this is kind of interesting, actually this script is kind of partially taken from uh, something that, as far as I know, Star Trek The Next Generation is still one of the only TV shows to ever do this. And, uh, of course, they stopped doing it after a while, but um, they actually accepted use, you know, in submissions for scripts. Right. That's something most TV shows don't do these days, um, and a lot of it is for legal reasons, because what happens if somebody writes a script? You know, if they say they accept scripts and they take them in and they read them, what if they read something... And they don't like it, they don't use it, whatever. But then, you know, a year later, one of their actual writers writes something and it happens to have something similar in it. Right. You know, all of a sudden, you're opening yourself up to this lawsuit, you're opening yourself up to all sorts of trouble, and, you know, just kind of... So most places now, if you submit a script to them, they'll send it back to you saying, you know, thanks for your interest, however, we do not accept unsolicited scripts. Mm. Uh, with Next Generation, they actually had a program going where they were accepting scripts, and they would, uh, in some cases, in, in rare cases, as far as I know, um, you know what, I don't remember. I, I used to remember how many they actually ended up using. I know it wasn't a large number, right. which is one of the reasons they stopped doing it, because, you know, you know, how long do you pay people to read these scripts coming in and not use them? Right. But the original idea for this episode was actually generated through the open submissions policy as a spec script. Um, It didn't have certain features. Um, Guinan wasn't really a part of it in that. Um, uh, The original script version, basically, there was some sort of alien probe that alerted them to the fact that uh, there was something wrong, and that's how they figured out that, uh, oh, by sending them back is is what you need to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. The original script also did not have uh, a female captain. It was... uh, uh, different. Uh, the <laughs> it was a uh, Richard Garrett was the captain of the Enterprise C. Um, I guess they weren't quite ready for a female captain. <laughs> that particular <laughs> that particular author wasn't ready for a female captain, at least. But uh, right. I, I'm glad they decided to go with that because it kind of shows. You know, it kind of basically they want you to see that everything's equal, that everybody can be, even though we haven't had a show yet at this point. Mm-hmm. that had a female captain as the main character. They wanted to make sure that you see, no, 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 we did have it way back then, too. <laughs> right. Well, they even had it in one of the movies, uh, I think Star Trek Four. They have a, a female captain. Yes. Yeah, they've, they've made it a point to, to point it out. I mean, obviously, Janeway was the first uh, female captain of the, the, uh, as the main character of the show. But uh, they have pointed out that, by the way, we're not sexist. We seriously do have, seriously, (laughs) seriously, it's cool, guys. Um, But yeah, so we have here the female captain, Captain Garrett of the uh, Enterprise C, and trying to 
figure out what in the world is going on. She's obviously smart enough to be a starship captain, so she's pretty much figured out that something's up here. <laughs> right. I mean, just take a look at the the their uniforms. <laughs> exactly. You've got the uniforms. You've got the fact that, uh, you know, Riker and Picard refused to say the name of the ship they were from. We're from a, the, the A Federation starship. And then uh, <laughs> Crusher lets it out of the bag. I've got to get her back to the Enterprise. What? <laughs> Right. So it, you know, she obviously starts figuring out things pretty quickly, and obviously Picard already has the the inkling here of you know I wonder if sending them back will will do something for us here, but they have not yet decided to do that. <laughs> right. I'm a big fan of the uh, the computer interface from this time period. In the uh, 23rd century. Well, actually, the late 23rd, early 24th century. Yeah, I do actually like it a little better than the uh, the version, the the Elkar system that they use for the uh, in Next Generation. Mm-hmm. It seems a little bit more, it's just kind of easier on the eyes, I think, because it's using more blues and greens, uh, less right. yellows and oranges. Um, which, you know, I don't know how that actually translates from a, an actual usability standpoint if you were actually designing a uh, control panel for a starship. Um, mm-hmm. I think the only requirement when you're designing a control panel for a Federation starship is that at the slightest bump in space, it has to explode. That's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the only requirement. Other than that, you can do what you want. All right. But we get to see this nice little uh, flirtatious scene between uh, Shooter and uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's his real name? Castillo. Castillo. That's what it is. Richard Castillo yeah. is the is the name of the character. Uh, Lieutenant Castillo, and um, you know Lieutenant Tasha Yar, of course. And uh, they have a little they have a little thing going on, a little uh, trans time <laughs> flirtation <laughs> happening here. It's uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, I do like the fact that, uh, you know, she kind of is smug in the fact like, oh, I know all this stuff that you don't know. And he's like, hey, uh, I'll let you talk to me as long as you want to talk to me and tell me, tell me whatever you want to tell me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is curious. Again, if we're looking at uh, nitpicking details, you know, would they have ever, if the Federation had been at war this entire time, would they have ever been exploring the planet where data was found? And would they have hmm. just immediately either dismantled it or um, never, you know, how would Data have actually ended up in Starfleet? I don't see Data join, if they had activated him and obviously he had the choice mm-hmm. to join Starfleet or not. I don't necessarily see that character joining Starfleet in a time of war like that. Uh, that's a good point. I, I never actually uh, thought about that. But again, well, like I said, you know, for the purposes of the episode, they're not just getting rid of characters on mass. And, you know, if they were creating mm-hmm. an entirely new series or something like that based on this alternate timeline, they'd have to answer those type of questions. <laughs> but yeah, for the single episode, it's just kind of like, uh, it's just one of those little quirks. <laughs> You'd think they'd give him a new, like a clean uniform. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, dude, uh, we've got replicate. Oh, but the replicators are on minimum power to conserve, to, to put everything towards the... Uh, the shields remember so maybe Uh-oh. that's why but at least like having... wash his face or something um one thing that i'm noting here though like i was pointing out their bridge design wasn't militaristic because they weren't at war at the time but yet mm-hmm. they show castillo here walking around armed with right. his his era weaponry it's not like they gave him one they're like oh by the way you need to be armed on the ship and here you go um so that indicates that he was armed uh previously which you wonder would they have been? Um, yeah, you you never really see that in any of the uh, the movies. They're always uh, the weapons are always in a uh, a weapon locker. Yeah, and I understand. You know, okay, it's time of war. You you could be boarded at any moment. Everybody needs to have their sidearm available right away. I mean, it's it's that's how it works. But again, like we pointed out. The sea wasn't in a time of war. Yeah, it was in a battle when it uh, went through the rift, but uh, it wasn't, you know, actually at a time of war at that point. Mm. He could have been ordered to to wear one um, while boarding the Enterprise uh, D. 
That's what I was wondering, but then why would he be wearing one of his era? You know, why wouldn't they give him a new one? Mm. But, uh, you know, again, little nitpicking quirks. Anytime you deal with, uh, just to put it out there, I love time travel stories. Absolutely love them. (laughs) However, you can nitpick any time travel story to death because it's just so impossible to get everything right. Um, That's true. So many little things are like, well, what about this? What about this? Well, what about this? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, and what we're really distracted from right now is the fact that we're seeing right now a fantastic example of how good Patrick Stewart is as an actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, He basically carried the first season of this show by himself, practically between him and Brent Spiner as data, you know, they pretty much carried, the first season and you get to see some of that in this episode especially there's a couple of scenes uh, here with Guinan and then later when he's talking with the bridge crew and telling them what's going on where you see that uh, that amazing acting from him and mm. you actually get to see like hey wait a minute uh, Whoopi can kind of act too <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> You know, so you really get to see that, especially in this scene. And then again, in the scene where he's uh, talking to the bridge crew, you really get to see that amazing acting that uh, they really had a tremendous talent pool on this show. I mean, yeah, they were mostly people that uh, nobody really knew that much beforehand, mm-hmm. but there's still a fantastic talent pool that they had to work with. So that's one of the reasons this series, uh, this this entire series is so great. Definitely. Like I'm not really a fan of those other uniforms uh, that the uh, non-senior crew is wearing. Are they in the? Uh, they, are they back in the jumpsuits? Is that what they're? That's what. Yeah, they're like wearing the, like the season one, season two uniforms with uh, a, like a sash on them. Yeah, they, yeah, they've got like a, a weird shoulder holster type thing going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like the senior crew gets to have the nice uniforms with the nice collars, and then everybody else is like, uh-huh, you could <laughs> hey, we've got this pile of uniforms for season one that we didn't <laughs> use. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that was an interesting scene right there where basically, uh, you know, Guinan's like, something ain't right here. Like, he, she obviously knows Tasha. She obviously, underst- you know, like, she has the memories of being there, but she also has the memories of her not being there. Mm-hmm. So she, she's got this sense that, you know, she specifically, out of everything else that's going on in this, this current new timeline, she's the one that uh, there's a problem with. Right. You know what's weird? Um, Ten Ford is usually dark in our time timeline, and the Enterprise Bridge is usually bright, and they've switched it completely. Yes, yes they've kind of flip-flopped it in this case. And I think that has to do with, uh, if I had to guess, it would have to do with the fact that they're, you know, in the current, in the true timeline 10 forward is a place to relax it's you know you Mm -hmm. go there at the end of your shift you you're relaxing you're just chilling um and you you whatever you can get uh you can get sleepy you can get whatever it's fine Mm -hmm. um but in this timeline it's basically you know mess hall you know, it's right. basically just a place to to eat and then get back to your duties. So they don't want you to feel relaxed. They don't want you to feel at ease. You're just supposed to be getting in and getting out. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the bridge, I'm not sure why um, they would want it darker. I think it's just meant to impart a darker tone in general. Right. In yeah, in reality, obviously, you'd want it to be bright in the uh, bridge as well, because you want to be able to see your controls. You'd want to be able to see what you're doing and uh, you'd be more alert in brighter exactly. light. But I think for the purposes of the show, I think it's just meant to impart a darker tone. Cause you notice that also even in season one, when they go to the quote unquote battle bridge, mm-hmm. the battle bridge is darker than the primary bridge. So they're, they're kind of keeping up with that theme. They're like, Oh, well at wartime, everything's dark. Yeah. I don't recall during the during the series run of Picard having everyone in his ready room to have a conference. No, I don't. I don't believe that he ever did that, as far as I can recall, yeah. either. No, they they were in the conference room in the in the main conference room. Uh, what do they call the observation room? Yep, the um, op- op- observation lounge. Yes, uh, th- yeah. that's where they primarily had any big meetings that were more than three people. Uh, right. You know, typically in his ready room, it was just him and Riker or him and one other person occasionally 
him and two other people, especially if there was like a, a guest on the ship, an admiral or another captain or something like that, they'd mm-hmm. be in there and then, you know, Riker or Data or somebody would come in. But yeah, this, um, this scene, he's got everybody crowded into the ready room. And I think that's again, you know, part of the whole wartime thing. The ready room is closer to the bridge than the observation lounge. So if they need to get back, if there's a, a fight and they need to be back in their stations immediately, they're closer from here than they would be from the other room. I suppose, but it, in, it, they're not really that far. No, it's it's not a huge difference, but, uh, you know, I don't know if that's where they were trying to go with that or if they were trying to go somewhere else with it. But, again, right. you, you I, see I in that, that scene... that right there was good foreshadowing. Yeah, when when the, the you know, who knows if we're even alive in this timeline, and Tasha's like, wait a minute, that's what Guinan was talking about, and so she starts to kind of feel it herself, like I'm not even supposed to be here. But yeah, you, and you get to see they they contemplated doing uh, when they were writing this episode, they did think about putting in a uh, Tasha and Data thing somewhere in there to kind of harken back to the first season in the naked now when they uh, hooked up. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but then they decided that that really would you know be more distracting to the storyline than anything else at this point, especially since they had the uh, the flirtation between her and Castillo going on instead. Right. But instead, they just have this kind of analytical discussion in the turbo lift uh, and, you know, kind of letting her come to the realization that uh, you you can kind of see it right there. She's like, okay, I know what I need to do. Mm -hmm. So at this point, she's already kind of decided that, you know, I'm going to go back with them. That's what's going to happen. And then we have the conversation between the captains here where Captain Picard has to try and <laughs> justify the fact that he's making this decision based on the bartender's word. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, you kind of, but you also get to kind of the sense of the the, the way these people uh, think in the Starfleet uh, universe, you know, basically within the ranks of Starfleet, she's basically saying, hey, a bunch of my people have already come and told me that they want to go back. You know, even though mm-hmm. we've got practically no chance, they want to go back because they don't want to, you know, first of all, we're out of place. We're not supposed to be here. And second of all, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to be the people who ran out in the middle of a fight. Come on now. Exactly. Especially if that's, uh, if there's any possibility that this actually will prevent this, this war from happening. This is where Picard actually reveals that the uh, Federation is not <laughs> winning this war at all. Yeah. They're basically, you know, kind of treading water at best and, and losing miserably at worst. So anything that could potentially make this better is a good thing, even if it means sacrificing. As they said, there's 125 people on the ship um, that are... Uh, potentially just going back to die and and that's Mm -hmm. where he has to make this decision you know there's uh, potentially millions of people who have died in the war compared to the 125 on the ship you know again it's one of these things we see a common thread throughout all of star trek the the goods of the many out in the outweigh the goods of the few or the one and that's where you really see this um this one's a lot lot tougher though because there's no guarantee you know, you're not saying, okay, by you guys dying, we guarantee this will happen. Yeah, yeah, we know it because we're watching from the outside, but they don't know it. They're they're making this decision essentially blind, just saying this might work. So we're sacrificing 125 people on something that might work. Mm-hmm. And of course, here's Tasha trying to you 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 might not, you might not die you might not die maybe, um, and he's just looking at her like don't be stupid <laughs> yeah right <laughs> don't be stupid <laughs> we gonna get killed <laughs> uh, but I do like that he's like uh, still trying to flirt with her a little bit like yeah I'm gonna go die but hey just in case if you see this old guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that won't be weird. Yeah. <laughs> if you see and a really old guy, wait for you know, it. 
<laughs> oh, and shaking around. Wait, do we get a do we get a control panel explosion? Come on now. <laughs> Shake the camera. Yes. All this all this shaking around, their inertial dampeners never seem to work. And uh it took how many years of shows and how many movies before anybody thought to install seatbelts on one of these damn ships? Oh yeah. <laughs> And no spoilers, I haven't seen Into Darkness yet. I just know they have seatbelts because I've seen the, the pictures. <laughs> okay, yeah, they do have seatbelts. I actually just saw it again last night. Oh, yeah, I, I need to see it. I need to to get out and watch it. I I just haven't had the time. And then, of course, uh, you know, my wife wants to watch it as well, so I've got to wait for her to have the opportunity. Mm. So here they are in a little battle I, I love this battle scene because it really shows a different side of picard when he's mm-hmm. you know in war mode um and something you don't see normally because even in the regular uh timeline if picard has to if they have a, if they're in a fight picard's always looking for a way out of the fight without killing somebody or hurting anybody or doing anything like that he's always looking for a way out if possible right. whereas in this timeline they've been at war so long they've lost so many people He's like, screw that. I'm taking him down. And that's what he does. He, you know, you see when they get into the firefight with the uh, Klingons that he's just <laughs> gung-ho. Let's kill these sons of guns. Right. And we- the, Klingon, the Klingon ships are, are my favorite, uh, especially the birds of prey are my, are my favorite uh, alien ship design. I, I do like the Klingon Birds of Prey. I also like the Romulan uh, Birds of Prey, especially the next generation versions um, with the kind of arcing uh, nacelle. Uh, what are they? Oh, the, uh, the war, war bird? Yeah. The, the yeah. Romulan ones are pretty nice looking too. Um, the ones that I can't stand, I think the worst design, ship design in next generation, it's got to be the original Ferengi ships. <laughs> I, I figured so you were going to say that. Hideous. Those were just so ugly. And it was because yeah. really, they look like they had potential. Like somewhere in the design process, they probably looked okay, and then you know something happened, and they got they got worse. <laughs> now I know I don't, I don't know if they were just trying to fill time here or what was going on, but this whole scene where they you know they kill Captain Garrett because they get into a firefight, and then suddenly somehow that means that they're not going to send. The Enterprise C back, they're like, oh, crap, the captain's dead. Never mind, we have to scrap that whole plan. No, you've still got 124 other people who can take this ship back. Why all of a sudden are you scrapping the plan just because of that? You still have to do what you have to do. Uh, right. Oh, uh, here we go. Tasha's always <laughs> making out with somebody, I swear. That's all she did on this show. One <laughs> <laughs> if Lieutenant Castillo is fully functional as well. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> I don't really want to find out. Yeah, <laughs> we don't find out this. Well, we find out that uh, somebody, you know, some Romulan somewhere was uh, fully functional later on because uh, we we see Tasha's uh, half Romulan daughter later on in the series. So, <laughs> uh, oh, you like that? She knew who was behind her immediately. Psychic. <laughs> <laughs> You're not far off. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is she knows what's going on. She just, she doesn't know what she knows. And that's what's so weird about it. And so hard for, you know, she knows that it's wrong and she knows that she's got to do something, but she can't really specify any details. Mm. And this is the scene where it really kind of comes out. You know, they're like, Tasha's like, we've known each other for a long time. And Gan is like, no, no, we haven't. <laughs> you dead. <laughs> you dead as a doornail. They tried to revive you. Nothing. Not a thing. Like Miracle Max. <laughs> all dead. She's not mostly dead. All dead. Just go through the clothes <laughs> and look for loose change at this point, basically. Then she rubs salt in the wound too. I like that. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> yeah. She's like, no, you're dead. Oh, and by the way, your death sucked too. <laughs> you didn't save uh, anybody. I, I, yeah. You didn't. Uh, it wasn't a hero's death. It wasn't in battle. No, it was a big blob of oil. Yeah, and he killed you just to prove he could. So then she comes in and says, uh, "Captain, I'd like to commit suicide, please." And he says, <laughs> "Are you sure?" And she says, yes. And he says, okay, then. <laughs> basically, that's how this scene Yeah, basically, in a nutshell. Yeah. 
No, basically, she's got to convince him that, you know, so here's another thing that he's essentially taking on Guinan's word. You know, he's basically sending one of his crew to go die with the with the crew from the old ship based nothing on based on nothing but Guinan's intuition and, and thoughts, which just shows you how much sway Guinan really has. Uh, you know, basically, you know, we know later on in the series when we see the events of Time's Arrow that uh, essentially, they've known each other for <laughs> longer than than Picard's even been alive. Right. But um, at this point in the series, we don't know that. So this kind of gives us that first glimpse into what would become the the relationship between Guinan and Picard that uh, is so deep, and that mm. we don't even realize at this point. The fact that he's but willing to take all this on those events probably wouldn't have happened in this timeline. No, that's true. Uh, most likely not. You know, because again, it's a exploration type of thing. But uh, then you never know, too. I mean, you know, this, the events that brought this particular crew together at this particular time probably wouldn't have transpired in this timeline either. But yet, here we go. Mm. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good you know, point. like like I said with with Wesley, you know, he wouldn't have had time to go through the academy, and and you know, if he had gone into the academy, he'd probably be in the academy right now. He wouldn't be an ensign on the Enterprise. Um, That's the only true. reason he's on the Enterprise but, in the prime timeline is because his mom is the doctor of the ship. So he's traveling essentially with his mom. He's not a member of the crew by himself until later on. You know, obviously he gets made acting ensign and then does uh, become ensign at some point. But, you know. But I, in the prime universe, um, best of both worlds, uh, he is wearing uh, the, the service uniform. The red uniform. Okay, okay. And that was end of season two, right? Uh, season three. So, so, so it was the right. end of this yeah. season then. Okay, that's right, that's right. So, yeah, so, you know, it, it's coming close to when that would be taking place, mm-hmm. but he hadn't gone officially to the Academy yet. Um, no, no. I think it's all just a field uh, promotion kind of thing. Yeah. So you have to wonder, you know, how did that take place in this universe? You know, how did he, how did he end up? Um, Whoa, that's something I never noticed before. He just tapped his uh, his comm badge. Oh. Do we see um, them doing that at any point previously, or do you think they hooked them up with like, oh, hey, by the way? You're going to keep your style insignia. They they obviously got him a clean uniform too. So, <laughs> right. Somewhere so they I, found I guess a clean that uniform. just means that it they got rid of the flip communicator sometime uh, between uh, the Enterprise B and the the D in, in this one. Yeah, it must have been sometime in the in that time frame when they switched over to the personal communicator in the actual badge. Unless it was just a mistake and he accidentally did it. <laughs> he was just checking to make sure it's there. I mean, have you? Done, I, I've done that walking around. Like, just have to check my back pocket, make sure my wallet's still there. Maybe, maybe he's used to. Maybe it falls off occasionally, and so he was just checking to see if it was there at the same time. <laughs> Possibly that he happened to be talking to to engineering. <laughs> I don't think so. No, <laughs> but, but it could but have that's, been a mistake um, in the that's direction. It cool. How would they do that? Yeah, but we we don't see them using any flip communicators at any point in this. But also, they're not communicating outside of the ships either. So, and we we see even in the original series, they don't need the flip communicators when they're on the ship. They use the the ship's communication systems. Mm-hmm. They only need the communicators when they're, uh, you know, on a way mission. Ah, here we go. Here's the battle scene I love. The <laughs> Klingon ship come out, and they're just like, "All right, here we go." I love the address he gives to the, the the crew. Basically, it's like, hey, you know, in case you're wondering why we're not tucking tail and running, it's because we have to. Mofos. <laughs> That's one of the best lines in this uh, this episode as well. Just make sure that history never forgets the name Enterprise. Yeah, I, and I would go as far to say the best line in all of Star Trek 
definitely, uh, definitely up there. Um, again, one of those things for me to say something's the best ever. I got to give it a lot of thought and I'll go, I'll go top five easily. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, definitely one of the best lines and, uh, definitely the best of this episode, but definitely one of the, you know, also one of the best ever. Uh, but there's another great line from Picard here coming up, uh, very shortly as well, too. That's, uh, one of my favorites of this episode when the, uh, Klingons are, you know, getting close to to winning this battle because obviously it's a three on one here, and mm-hmm. you know, the Klingons have had twenty years of war to update their ships specifically for war. So you got to believe that those are pretty badass warbirds out there, right? Of course, they're I right. also like how Picard is giving out coordinates, uh, directions. You don't really see that um, during the series run. Yeah, he, most of the time he leaves that to the to the helmsman to to calculate. He tells them the general direction to go, and they figure out the exact uh, coordinates. Or Riker does it. Um, he, he's taking much more uh, much more command in this one. He's really right on there. Mm-hmm. So. What happens when you lose antimatter containment? Mr. Riker. <laughs> Pretty much that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there goes the shaking. And, and a control panel explodes. <laughs> and another one. <laughs> I nice. tell you, what do they make those things out of? you got to wonder what they make those things out of. It was, I never really noticed it that much until I, I was at Phoenix Comic Con this year and I was watching, a, I was in a panel with uh, Will Wheaton and John Scalzi. And uh, mm-hmm. John Scalzi is a, as an author and he's pretty, pretty funny. And he's written a book called uh, Red Shirts that's essentially <laughs> about uh, the union of the red shirted uh, employees of the, they don't call it the Starfleet, it's not technically set in the star trek universe but um it's basically red red shirts and star trek suing the federation for damages for all the all the people they've lost and and he brings up the uh random exploding control panels uh quite often it's it's hilarious so definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't john scalzi and the red shirts it's uh, absolutely hilarious here we go we get to see the Enterprise was, is the Enterprise only here. on like thrusters? <laughs> I think so. I think their warp drive was down, and I don't know about their impulse engines, or maybe they couldn't. Maybe the impulse engines would uh, mess up the the rift. And Riker's dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thought I mentioned. I, I heard. Well, I read that more people were supposed to die very gruesome deaths in this episode yeah, uh, during it- this scene. Yeah, I wonder why they why they would have cut that out, other than maybe for ratings, make sure that they didn't make it too gruesome. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they get to the point where it's pretty obvious that they're getting their booties handed to them here. Um, you get this, yeah. boom, and everything's groovy again. <laughs> I love how it's like right in the middle, you know, the ship's about to explode and everything's groovy because yeah, that's basically what happens. You know, the ship goes back, it restores the original timeline and boom, everything's back to normal. Except for Guinan still knows that something's up, but Mm. now she's like, Oh, it's all better now. (laughs) So one of the things you'll notice when she sits down with Jordy, uh, Jordy is wearing the alternate reality uniform. Oh, is he? Yeah, look ah. at his sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. And credits. <laughs> so that uh, one of the best one of the best episodes uh, of the entire Star Trek Next Generation series for sure, and probably one of the best episodes of television uh, out there, quite frankly. Oh, totally. So, 
Uh, thanks to everybody who followed along and uh, listened with us. We appreciate it. And uh, uh, is there anything else you want to touch on uh, about this episode that we uh, may have missed? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, that, that blooper at the end is the one thing I really wanted to talk about, um, where it's you know just a, a production error where Jordy has... Just in change shirts. <laughs> Somebody forgot to tell him to change his clothes. Um, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I never never noticed that before. I obviously wasn't uh, watching that closely for that. But yeah, that's uh, now that's all I'm going to see when I see this episode. Thanks a lot, Aaron. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, one thing, like like I said at the beginning, um, a lot of the writing staff really weren't sure that this episode was going to work. They were very. Uh, a lot of them were not happy with the script they thought because it was really rushed uh, this actually this episode was essentially the the script was put together in about three days um, mm. and it, like i said pieced together from uh, a script that had been submitted uh, through the submission program and another script that one of the main writers had been putting together with a, you know they basically kind of merged the two to come up with this episode and they had to do it quick because uh, Denise Crosby and Whoopi Goldberg had scheduling uh, issues that they had to, to you know, basically they only had this small window that they could film this episode with so many scenes with them in it. So they, they it was really rushed and a lot of the writers did not think it was going to work. They thought it was going to be a bad episode. Um, but obviously they were wrong. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so it's a really great episode, and it really came out great, and I think that has to do a lot with, you know, obviously the talent of the writing staff that worked on The Next Generation, you know, the fact that they were able to, in three days, piece together these different stories to, to come up with something so great. And, yeah, we can nitpick little details of uh, the timeline because that's what we do. That's our, our job as fans <laughs> is to nitpick after the fact. You know, the first time you watch through it, you just didn't allow yourself to enjoy it. The second time, you, you, you try to think about it. And then the third and fourth and hundredth and thousandth <laughs> time, that's when you start, like, wait a minute. I don't think... You know, Wesley would have been in you know, Starfleet, or you know, like Data wouldn't have joined Starfleet during a time of war. Wait, uh, you know, then you can start nitpicking it. But uh, for certain, it was a great episode and uh, mm -hmm. definitely showcased the acting abilities, especially of Patrick Stewart in this one. You really get to see uh, Stewart's range in this. That you you don't always. I mean, you see it throughout the series. Especially mm -hmm. when you get into the later seasons and you get to see episodes. Um, um, like I can never remember the name of the episode where he plays the flute with the with the probe. Oh, Inner Light. Yes, it's one of my favorite mm -hmm. episodes, but I can never remember the damn title. Uh, Inner Light. Yeah, that episode where it was basically you know all Picard all the time, um, mm -hmm. but just so different and such an amazing acting performance. And then of course again in um, All Good Things, you really see how great an actor he is in that one as well. So. Right, all good things. Favorite episode? Well, <laughs> one of my favorite episodes of uh, this series. Yeah, it's a it's a bittersweet favorite of mine too because it does obviously mark the end of one of my favorite series of all time. Uh, but it was just such a great episode that uh, it was definitely yeah, again that one is definitely in the top five as well. I think my top five would include not in any particular order. Uh, Measure of a Man. Um, Obviously, Yesterday's Enterprise, mm -hmm. Best of Both Worlds, All Good Things, and uh, I'm forgetting the title of the other one that I would include. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> what happens in the episode? Uh, it's the one with, uh, it's got Artie from Warehouse 13, and he's the collector. He tries to steal data. Uh, oh. Um, the Most Toys. The Most Toys. The Most Toys. That one was, I loved... The, I loved all the data-heavy episodes because I love Brent Spiner as an actor. I think he's fantastic. So the um, mm -hmm. the data lore, even though it was a horribly written episode, was a fantastic episode. Um, mm -hmm. The episode where Soon brings data back to give him the emotion ship, and lore shows up too. <laughs> yeah, good episode as well too. I think Brothers or something. I, I, I would think it is called Brothers. Yeah, something to that effect. That was a really great yeah. one as well. Um, you know, basically anytime you get to have uh, a fistful of datas, uh, 
not one of my <laughs> top five, but definitely one of my favorites as far as just a fun, entertaining episode. When they get when Worf and his son get stuck on the holodeck, and every character is Data. <laughs> yeah, that um, I actually put that one on my on my memory. <laughs> Uh, it's not one of my favorites, um, but oh, it is no. uh, kind of a fun, quirky it's, episode. That's that's what I like. I don't count it as one of my one of the top best episodes. I count yeah. it as one of my favorite, fun to watch episodes. And there is a difference. There's a difference. You know, we were just talking about this on uh, Her Majesty's Secret Podcast uh, here on the Four Eyed Radio Network. You can check that out at uh, hermajestyspod.com. We were talking about the difference between the best of something technically and critically and uh, box office performance wise, things like that. You can, you can single out a movie or a TV show and say, this is the best example of this thing, but it might not be your favorite. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. with the bond movies, Goldeneye is, and probably always will be my favorite of the bond movies. It's by far not the best, <laughs> you, know, I see. you know, obviously the newer one, Skyfall, uh, and Casino Royale, both far superior in, in technical aspect, in um, honesty to the character aspect. I mean, just so many ways. And of course, box office performance for sure, way better. But mm-hmm. it's still, GoldenEye is still my favorite. And so, you know, and it's the kind of the same thing with these episodes. You can take a look at something like, um, you know, All Good Things, probably the best episode from a technical standpoint, obviously, was the end of the seventh season. Everything, every special effect that they could possibly have perfected, they had perfected at that point. Everything was perfect. The crew, uh, you know, all the cast and crew was working together on all cylinders. So from a technical aspect, you could easily say that that was probably the best episode. Mm-hmm. But as far as favorite ones to watch, I'll still go back to uh, Data Lore and Fistful of Datas and, and even some of these episodes <laughs> that were not good episodes, but they're just right. fun to watch. I, and I, you know, obviously the, the holodeck episodes where I tend to think of them kind of as throwaway episodes, right. yet they're still, they've, they've, they did them so well to make them fun to watch. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the big goodbye was a fantastic episode, even though it was, you know, yet another, oh crap, we're stuck in the holodeck and the safeties are off. What do you know? I and mean, the safeties <laughs> never work. But yeah. It's still a fun episode yeah. to watch, you know, getting to see them kind of go out of character. They wouldn't be the episodes that I would, if somebody came to me and said, I've never watched Star Trek The Next Generation, what episodes should I watch? Those aren't the episodes I would point them towards. Right. I would point them towards, uh, you know, Measure of a Man, uh, Yesterday's Enterprise, uh, Best of Both Worlds, uh, All Good Things, um, Inner Light. Uh, what was the one with? Uh, I think it was called Masks. With which was um, pretty much that was the one the entire episode. That was a fantastic episode too. Just those. The two. one where Data is living the lives of other people. Uh, I believe so, and and Picard's the for some reason Picard's the only other one left on the ship, and basically the ship's being taken over by an alien sentience, and they're using Data. He's like all the different characters, and right? I think mm-hmm. I think it was called Masks, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But that, that was, yeah, that was a fantastic but, episode as well. Definitely, highly, you know, those are the ones I point people towards, um, you know, or just tell them, hey, start at season two and just watch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I you're would, really into I would even go further and say season three on. Yeah, um, but there was I'm, I'm not a huge fan of too, the first or second season. Yeah. The first season was real rough. You really had to be a fan to to stick with it. I mean, like I said, I still find some gems in there uh, mm-hmm. from time to time, but definitely not my favorite. I mean, I did enjoy Encounter at Farpoint. I think is a good episode. I think that was actually probably. Uh, the best written episode of the entire first season. I mean, given that it was a pilot, it it should have been, but um, that's not to say it's, you know, up there with any of the rest of the series, but as far as first season goes, I think that was a very good, I thought they did a good job starting off. I thought that was a a good pilot episode. And then from there, they seemed to want to try to regurgitate original series storylines and I think that's where they really went wrong in the first season. Because like, if you want to make a successful series that goes longer than three years, you're not going to be able to just copy a series that only lasted three seasons uh, that was supposed to go five. So, right. 
Right. I, I think that was a lot of uh, Roddenberry's influence, though, um, in the early years. Yes. Yeah, definitely you saw that. Um, but then you you still get, like, you know, one of my favorite episodes to watch again, even though it's not technically a great episode, is uh, The Naked Now. It's just a fun episode. You get to see the entire crew basically drunk. You you find out yeah. that Data has uh, all of the equipment that uh, you would uh, see in a normal human male. Um, right. And it's fully functional, as he says. Um, you get to see that kind of uh, interaction between characters that you don't get to see. It's not Again, it's not one that you just want to watch just that one and then be like, that's what this show is about? Because you won't get it. <laughs> Um, but within the context of the rest of the series, it's a fun episode to watch, uh, mm-hmm. especially that's the, the one and only time you really saw the release of that tension between Picard and Crusher throughout the rest of the season. It's really muted and it's just, it's there. They're both attracted to each other and they both know it, but neither one of them is even sort of thinking about acting on it. Whereas right. in the naked now you actually get to see them you know they're they nearly go through with it i mean it was really like last second like oh crap something's happening i guess we got to deal with that so it's it's just one of those fun episodes so even though the first season was not great i can still find things i can still find good things about it <laughs> right have you seen any of the remastered uh, episodes i have not yet i've seen some um side-by-side comparisons still frames and it Mm -hmm. looks phenomenal i mean seriously like i don't have a blu-ray player right now um i've been debating getting one since they've started getting so cheap you know i saw one for like 30 bucks the other day i was like wow that's Mm -hmm. nothing but then the blu-rays you know you still got to buy those and i mean like yeah i've got a dvd player Mm -hmm. now but i haven't bought a dvd in years i get everything through either netflix or you know if i do get a dvd it's through redbox because i only need to watch it and then be done with it Right. But if I were going to buy a Blu-ray player, it would probably be solely to get the the Star Trek Blu-ray series because the, just the everything that I've seen and heard about them, uh, it seems so worth it. Right. You don't have uh, Hulu Plus, do you? I do not. I use okay. Hulu occasionally, but not Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus has the... Um, the remastered versions of uh, the next generation seasons one and two, oh. um, which is uh, how I've been watching them. Um, the only problem with that is, is that you don't get the extra features. Right. Um, but otherwise you'll get to see, um, you know, Star Trek, the next generation as it was meant to be seen. Gotcha. Yeah, I really want to be able to go to one of these events when they, because every time they release the the new uh, season on Blu-ray, they do these events where they play one or two of the episodes from mm-hmm. that season. And uh, I really wanted to go to the one where it was Measure of a Man, but they didn't even have one of those in my area. Mm. And then the most recent one they did, by the time I found out, they did have one in my area, but by the time I found out about it, it was sold out. Oh, I was like, uh, oh, too bad. Boo. But uh, I'll be watching very closely that venue for when the next one comes out to see if it uh, if it pops up on my radar and I'm able to to snag a ticket. Yeah, the next one will be uh, they'll be showing Redemption, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is uh, when Worf uh, uh, basically uh, gives up his uh, commission. Yeah. And uh, joins the Klingon Empire. Uh, so that was uh, season four cliffhanger and season five uh, uh, first episode. Yeah, well, that'll be a good one. That was yeah, a good definitely. One. It wasn't my my favorite season transition, but it was a good one. All of the season mm-hmm. transitions were pretty good, but uh, obviously, I think Best of Both Worlds is probably the best season transition uh, throughout the entire series, I think. Right. I, I'd agree. All right. Well, uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about on yesterday's enterprise before we sign off? And uh, now that we've gone completely off topic, <laughs> for those of you still listening, thanks so much for, for listening to us ramble about the entirety of Star Trek next generation, even though we were supposed to be talking about yesterday's enterprise. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, thanks so much for tuning in. 
um, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And don't forget to uh, check us out on the web, uh, foureyedradio.com and uh, sfescapepod.com. And uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Eric J. Dewey. And you can follow me at Nova Charter. All right. Well, thanks for listening. You guys have a uh, great night or day or whatever it is that you're listening to us. <laughs> you have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com, on Twitter at sfescapepod, or on Facebook dot com slash sf escape pod this has been a proud production of the four eyed radio network check out more shows on four eyed radio dot com beam me up scott